0: I'm a mythical Pandora, sent here to judge the universe.
1: Do you have any idea what the weapon is?
2: It could very well be a planet
3: killer.
0: I would really like to go on this mission, Admiral.
3: Imagine having the power to annihilate entire worlds and even the stars themselves.
4: Humanity is worth saving. What have you done?
5: Pandora, new episodes premiere October 4th, free next day only on the CW app. If you like listening to Inglorious Trexperts, you'll love watching us. Really? Wait, I, guess, I guess you will. I guess you will. But how, how can one do that, Mark? Now you can download the free Electric Now app featuring video podcasts of the Inglorious Trexperts, the 430 movie, best movies never made, and tons of free TV, movies, and more. You're saying it's so all free? All free? i saying it's free. 100% no free. Page- There's no Patreon. There's no premium fees. There's no Electronic Frontier. Well, there's no excuse not to get it then. There's no excuse not to. That's what I'm saying. So download the Electric Now app today and start watching us right now. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it.
2: Burn, baby, burn. We are burning with love for Star Trek Discovery Season 3. Thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you back with us for Disco Nights, the show exploring the days and nights, the lights and darks of Star Trek Discovery. And we have got a great season ahead for you with a brand new co-host and two fabulous guests for this episode. Take it away, Ryan Britt.
1: Hello. Um, you just heard the voice of Chase Masterson. And if you're watching the Electric Now app, you saw Chase Masterson. You best know her for her five years on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. But her other TV and film roles include The Flash, General Hospital, ER, and numerous roles on sci-fi. Features include the sci-fi noir Yesterday Was a Lie and leads in the upcoming Skipping Stones. She has the title role in the Doctor Who Big Finish spin-off. Vienna, that's audio, currently in season four. She has spoken at TED, Google HQ, and the United Nations about the nonprofit she founded using TV and film to teach empathy, Pop Culture Hero Coalition.
2: Well, thank you for that extra long bio (laughs) read and intro, Ryan Britt.
1: I've read longer.
2: Thank you. Here is more on Ryan. Ryan Britt writes for Sci-Fi Wire, Den of Geek. Inverse, Vulture, and Star Trek.com. He is the author of the books Luke Skywalker Can't Read, published in 2015 through Plume Books, and the forthcoming book Phasers on Stun, a nonfiction look at how Star Trek changed the world. Also out through Plume Books in 2022.
1: Yes, that is true. And uh, we are here to talk about Star Trek Discovery. And specifically, Chase, we're going to be talking about the trill. Um, and I want to mention that for anyone listening out there, I have done a little research and we are allowed to say trills as well as trill and the trill. Okay. All of okay. these things are completely acceptable. Um, so anybody who's ready to tell us we can't say trills, Jadzia said trills many times. Uh, we're going to talk about, damn it. Um, if Jadzia said it, it's probably okay. Probably okay. Uh, it's, but canon, can, baby. it's canon. Chase, you can tell us if everything that Jadzia said was okay. Because you, yes. you worked with her, um, with Terry Farrell. <laughs> we know that the Star Trek actors and their characters are not the same. Um, let's just remember oh. that going into this. <laughs> right. Um, so we have two wonderful guests with us today, Chase. Um, I know mm-hmm. both of these people from the internet and a little bit from real life, but mostly from the internet. And I like doing this real life thing with both of them right now. It's already been fantastic. Um, I'm going to inter- introduce um, Sarah Lynn Michener. Um, She is a maker, a spitfire, and a Gen X trans-supporting Ravenclaw. She's a Trekkie, a screaming firehawk, and a Warren Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, she's fantastic. Um, she lives in Connecticut with a Renaissance engineer and a dog and two parrots. Um, we were just talking about um, her wonderful disco shirt um, and that Sarah, you were saying that you were keeping your disco shirt safe from your parrots. Before, yeah, they love to recording. punch holes
4: in it, and the one of them, the younger one, loves to burrow inside and will like sit in my bra and fall asleep. It's very cute, uh, but he also likes to, you know, punch little holes in what I'm wearing because he has, you know, a a pair of pliers for a face. So I try to keep my shirts away from them. So it's probably been a year since I've worn this shirt because, you know, I just. We leave the house once a week for groceries with the pandemic, and that's it. So,
1: do, do your parents have Star Trek names?
4: They do not, actually, but yeah. only because we got Bert uh, first. And actually, when I met my partner, he already had Bert. Um, so, Bert, you know, is sort of like my my stepchild, more or less. And when we got, we actually rescued the other one, Ernie. Um, we named him Ernie because Bert existed, and we were like, we want them to, you know, kind of go together. But we went to see a house, uh, and this bird was in the basement of this house, screaming its head off in the dark. And we were like, look, we don't want to buy your house, but can we rescue your bird, please? Classic. So they gave us the bird. So now we, you know, since moving to Connecticut, we basically, you know, acquired a second bird. So they're really cute together.
1: I'm also desperate now to find if there's someone, there is someone in Star Trek canon named Bert. Because, like, I want to believe that there is. There's got there should it. be
4: if there isn't.
1: There should be if there isn't. I mean, well, we we can research this later. Maybe I'll (laughs) pop onto memory alpha while we're recording. Um, Yeah. Chase, do you want to intro our other special guest?
2: Absolutely. She is founder of Fans Give Back, a not-for-profit project dedicated to helping fans in need. You may know her as Batleth Babe through social media, as she is a longsword fencer and an avid Trek fan Give it up for Heather Barker Barons. Welcome.
0: Welcome. Thank you. I still welcome myself, I guess. Thank you so much. (laughs) I am so happy to be here. So thrilled to be asked and really excited to talk about this episode because it was big and I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it
1: there's a lot. I think that's the way, I think that's the way to describe it, Heather. I think big, big is right. (laughs) I just want to note that Heather has, again, if you're watching on the um, electric now video app um, and not just listening to us, you will note that Heather easily has the coolest stuff of the four of us. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did notice. Yeah. Just that. Sorry. And Brandy, I had a white claw (laughs) before we started recording. I won't lie. I'm not ashamed to admit that I had a white claw. Um, These are the things you have when you're a writer and you're up in weird hours. But I wish I was having that sorry and brandy behind you, Heather Barker Barker Burns. That looks amazing to me.
2: It does Uh, indeed. But we digress and we are going to talk about (laughs) trills.
1: We are going to talk about trills. That is right, Chase. Um, So I want to talk a little bit about what happened in the episode. Um, But the first thing that I want to say is that I love this episode. um, And I thought it was wonderful. Uh, we're talking about episode four of season three of Star Trek Discovery, uh, Forget Me Not, uh, which was a, the second episode with Blue DiVario as Adira Tall, and the first episode with Ian Alexander um, as Gray Tall. Um, and essentially, we find out that Adira Tall um, is a human who got the Trill symbiont from um, their lover, um, Gray. And that uh, meant that these people are now joined, um, even though they were previously um, in love. And so that's been interesting. There's a few precedents for that. Um, we found out in Deep Space Nine that um, Curzon had been in love with Jadzia before they were joined, but of course that was a secret. Um, and this is clearly not a secret. Um, though, uh, Adira is keeping a, a bit of a secret by not telling uh, Michael Burnham that she can see um, that they can see Gray. Um, right now, Adira is using uh, she pronouns, so I slipped up there. But I know the character is non-binary, so I will attempt to use they. I corrected myself there. Um, yeah, what did we think of? What did we think of uh, everybody? Chase, go ahead.
2: There was so much in this episode that is so pertinent for today's world, as always in Star Trek. I felt that the danger of Blue, uh, well, obviously, uh, Adira having to uh, defend their right to have the symbiont uh, against the Trill was very reminiscent of racism and classism and quite a lot of social issues that are extremely pertinent today, especially this week, frankly, because we just had the election. Um, it It is really interesting to me that the Trill would have Actually, taken the life of Adira in order to rescue something that they wanted for their own social purposes. So it really raises the question of, you know, it raises the issues of the value of life. And it's quite interesting that in order to have their own agenda moved forward, that they would actually be willing to kill someone. So, what kind of moral mistakes are those uh, I found it very disturbing and uh, and again extremely reminiscent and I'm just glad that Burnham was there to kick ass when we needed her to As <laughs>
1: yeah. usual. Yeah, the Trill are not super um, Historically not super uh, progressive despite their interesting sort of nature I was thinking back to the uh, Deep Space Nine episode equilibrium in which uh, the uh, Trill were okay with maybe killing Jed Zia um because yes. they wanted to repress this memory she had of Gerondax and so i think that there's definitely an interesting um history that they were drawing upon there of saying hey the, remember the trill? they're really cool but their government maybe not so much what i don't know heather sarah what do you what do you folks think
0: i mean we we did eventually get to a better place um as star trek does so and i don't want to like fast forward through the whole episode um But because of that, I felt like, okay, we're kind of hearkening back to what we know of the Trill. Now we're in a better place where we can move forward and even possibly join the Federation at some point. Is this going to be revisited? Is this going to be drawn out? Are we going to see more about Trill culture? I would love to because Trill are some of my favorite alien species. And I think there's so much world building that can be done. But I'm certainly intrigued whether it was just kind of a callback or whether something more is going to happen. Interesting,
1: Sarah. How did you feel?
2: I loved it. I mean, I cried through the
4: whole thing, and it—it it reminded me of a lot of those standalone episodes. You know, and I, I think it's—it's not—it's not strange or you know terribly. Um, it won't shock you for me to say that there are some filler episodes in Star Trek um, <laughs> historically, and um, I think that it's you know really beautiful when you get to an episode that you know despite uh, the fact that all of these episodes are, you know, unlike TNG, unlike Voyager, they are not serialized. They are, you know, uh, one long continuing story that when they do have kind of standalone episodes, they do a really good job with them. Um, And this felt to me like, you know, the TNG episode, um, uh, Lower Decks, Inner Light, like those episodes that just sort of, you know, you could show to somebody who had never seen Star Trek and only really have to fill them fill them in a little bit, and they would understand what's going on, and they would probably be crying at the end too. And it's really nice to be able to have episodes like
2: that. Absolutely, you know it. This was such a, a compelling episode in so many ways. And Ryan, you were saying earlier that there were some discrepancies and some, you know, a lot of talk in the fan community about this. Tell me more about what you've heard.
1: Well, I think that my first question for everybody was when the, um, (laughs) when the Trill were saying there's never been a uh, a human joined with a Trill, um, a lot of people were probably like, well, what about, you know, Beardo numero uno? Um, Will Riker himself um, was joined with the Trill in the first episode with the Trill, the host. But I don't know if that's, I think the discovery writers are too smart and too immersed in canon for that to necessarily be uh, an error. Um, Dr. Colbert certainly shouldn't have known about Riker because Riker was, you know, 100 years after Colbert was born. And Colbert didn't have access to Beverly or Julian's, you know, logs. So I think that 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 works. But yeah, I don't know. I have my theory on the Riker erasure. Heather and Sarah, but what, do you, what did you, how did you feel about, why did the Trill deny that Riker was uh, um, ever joined with the O'Don symbiote? Other than the fact that the host is perhaps not everyone's favorite episode of Star Trek the Next Generation.
4: It didn't bother me just cause it was like a temporary, it was such a temporary thing when Riker had done that that you don't think of, you know, when you think of the Trill, you don't immediately think of Riker. It's, it's very much a footnote. In, in in that even in within that episode, it's that episode has its own problems and its own beauty, and there are a lot of wonderful things that work about that episode. And so it's it, but it isn't really something that you think about when you you're like, oh yeah, and you have to actually remember, like, oh, yeah, Riker did that thing for fifteen seconds.
1: Maybe I think about Riker more than I should, Sarah, is what you're making me. <laughs> what you're making me consider, I should mention that I was Riker. I was Spock two years in a row in, for Halloween for third and fourth grade. But in fifth grade, I was Riker. For some reason, my mother only drew the mustache. I don't know why I didn't get that. So I was this weird, snidely whiplash Riker. Um, wow. Yeah, it was very strange. I'll bring a picture next time we all get together.
2: Um, no, it's okay.
1: Be- no. <laughs> yeah. But I think that, yeah, I don't know, Heather. Maybe, maybe I think that Sarah's probably right that I'm probably I'm overthinking it. But my sense of it was that because the trill repressed other things in their history, like the stuff with Jadzia in in DS9, um, I felt like that they would totally repress that record, that they would never, that, that these people probably don't. In the same way, and there's a lot of repressed records going on in Star Trek Discovery, right? Like, you know, nobody knows that Discovery ever existed. And, you know, but it felt appropriate. And again, Chase, to your point, kind of the idea that we're kind of mirroring contemporary politics is that I felt like this government at least the conservative elements of the trill would totally just pretend like that, that never happened. And that, that yeah. would, and that, and that it, it is, and it's more dramatic in the moment to make and also for us to believe that Adira is unique and obviously her experience is nothing like Riker's for a lot of reasons. Um, but um yeah, I thought that, um I thought it might've been an intentional point, but I don't know, Heather, what do you think? Am I, am I nuts there?
0: I think that you're a Star Trek fan, <laughs> and I think that fans <laughs> do this. Um, what would Star Trek be if we didn't go and find all these, these little nitpicks and things to pull out? Um, it, I didn't even think about it when I watched this episode because there is so much folded in that speaks to me on a personal level as a as a newly out non-binary person and as a person who has experienced a lot of trauma and is confronting that trauma and healing from that trauma this year so my attention was with the the beauty of the episode and not with the little things like that although i think that's totally valid and when you brought it up i immediately just cannoned that they just wouldn't have brought it up themselves and that could fold into the secrecy and the, you know, what they kind of sweep under the rug in, in Trill society. Um, yeah, it's not a huge thing for me, but I think it's valid to bring it up.
1: Yeah, I guess I was trying to make it a part of the politics, I suppose, because I found their, their just because I had rewatched these other episodes with from DS9, and I was struck with being how surprised by how conservative they were, the Trill, and their, their um, the way they treated Jadzia. Um, so I was sort of shocked that this was, the, watching Equilibrium right after watching um, Forget Me Not was actually really, really amazing, because I saw how much the disco writers were sort of using that canon and saying like, hey, these are people um, that will cover up their history um, when necessary. Um, anyway, but I don't know. It
2: seems. It seems very much that the Discovery writers were wanting to make amends for what happened with Dr. Crusher and Odon in The Host, when Dr. Crusher egregiously said that human beings have a problem with homosexuality, quote unquote, um, it was, that's a loose quote, but that's what she said. And I think for Star Trek being the one show that fans could always count on to be inclusive or as inclusive as any television had gotten at that time. For that to be stated by one of the heroes of the show and for it to be left at that was heartbreaking. And I think that, the I feel the Discovery writers must have been Trying to make up for that and say, no, we are, we, are completely, we are completely inclusive, and this trill can live in this human body, and this human body can love whoever this human wants, that just really, it, it seems extremely apparent to me.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great point. And it's something that I noticed when they, um, when Adira came out and said that they wanted to stay with discovery because they felt that the symbionts were a gift for everyone. And so they wanted to see that. And I think that is really beautiful because, you know, the trill have been used kind of in a, in a slot and a lot has been done to... <sighs> So a lot of trans people, non-binary, gender-fluid people tend to find themselves within the trill because we haven't had like out representation before. So we're we're finding ourselves in these stories, and time and time again, things like that happen. Um, and I don't remember what the exact quote was, but it was basically like, you know, it's too bad that we don't think that way. And it's like, oh geez, okay, yeah, um, yeah. And it's just like, oh gosh, it's that's it's a terrible thing, and so. I, I really do believe that the Discovery writers are doing everything they can to kind of go back and make the trill a much more beautiful metaphor or allegory um, for the trans experience. And I'm really curious to see how it's going to evolve over time, because even in this episode with, spoiler alert, um, the, the physical death of Grey, we'll say, because we don't quite know what's going to they come back at the end of the episode and we're not quite sure they don't even seem to know what's going on um so again we're we're seeing the the death of our our first trans character and that that is another thing that is really really hurtful and and that has really been the only criticism that i've seen about this episode and it's really difficult criticism because as a non-binary person and as someone who's an ally and loves have so many people in my life that that were also hurt by it. Um, But I think that based off the interviews that both Blue and Ian have had um, and the information that they've shared, that they've got, they get to have a lot of insight into these roles. And they get to have some control over the story that's going to unfold. And I really want to trust them that they would not be so involved in these characters in this story if it was something terrible. Um, that being said, it still is not fun to see people like you killed on screen, no matter what. And we'll see how it plays out in time, because I think that that criticism will always be fair. Um, but I am really excited about this story and where it's going and and these characters, especially because they are amazing. Like, even though they're very young, they're just absolutely beautiful, stunning people. And... Just people that I know that are just like them that that now get to be shared with the world because the reality is that a lot of us don't know trans or don't even know that we know trans people are non-binary or gender fluid people. Um, sorry, I get super passionate. That's
1: about all about? Absolutely.
0: <laughs> well, I, I just want to jump in and say very
2: quickly, you know, we dealt with this with the television world and with fandom back in. Uh, several years ago with the Lexa incident on the 100. It was hugely hurtful to the the trans community and because it's, uh, I'm sorry, to to the LGBTQIA plus community. And because it was hurtful to that community, it should be hurtful to all of us. So I'm surprised that they killed Gray. And I am certainly rooting for Adira and Grey in every way possible now and I thought Ian Alexander is an absolutely (gasps) lovely actor. Wow. Oh my gosh. I love
0: him. I love him. Yeah. Yeah. I love them both. They're just, they're just, they're my heart now. So it's, it's odd to be in a place where I saw something that really hurt me that I wish hadn't happened, but I just adore them so much and they're very young and I saw some criticism about how could they have this relationship being such young people and it happens in life. Um, oh, that was yeah.
1: yeah. I thought that that was. I thought that was, if if anything, one of the one of the best things about it because it, that just everybody believed in their love, regardless of mm-hmm. your background and your yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. I was just. It was also something that felt kind of new for Star Trek, like their their moments together, making the quilt. I thought all of that was was yeah. wonderful, and yeah, Heather, just sort of piggyback on it, is I do think that I I tend to trust the the actors and the writers and I tend to look for to see what they've said um when these kinds of things happen I mentioned this to you guys before the call I mentioned to Chase last time is that I remember interviewing Wilson Cruz the night that the episode Discovery aired in which Dr. Colbert was killed by you know Ash Tyler and him sort of telling me like this is what this episode is I understand this is hard but you know you need to have faith and I think that that's the thing about Star Trek that I like is that I can hold both those ideas in my mind at the same time I can say, hey, I'm not sure about this storyline, but at the same time, I trust them that they're, you know, that they have a they have an idea, they have a plan, that they're not just doing this willy-nilly, and that it's it's not always gonna be exactly how we think. Um yeah, I don't know, Sarah, what were your feelings?
4: Um, I thought, you know, I I hoped at the end when when um Gray was sitting next to Adira and he was like, How are you here? I don't know. And I was kind of like I hope they take this somewhere, and that he doesn't just show up. You know, uh, sometimes, um, you know, uh, every every third episode for five seconds. I hope that it's either a regular cast member, or that um, when they do show up, it is a meaningful exchange, um, rather than you know just sort of uh, what what would ultimately feel like tokenism if if they threw that in there at the end to make you feel like he wasn't really dead. I mean. I, I, I will say that in, you know, because of the whole Trill situation, it is cool that Gray um, or that uh, Adira is wandering around with Gray being um, a part of her. You know, it's it's a part of who she is now. So it's almost as if, you know, he's not dead. Um, and again, it's one of those things, you know, in Star Trek, so many characters who are dead, but not, or come back. <laughs> um, but, you know, again, it's one of those things where if, if one of the things I love about Discovery is you never know what they're going to do. There's so many surprises. And they're right. really good at, you know, like just handling the whole Lorca thing in season one, you know, and even though there were hints of what was to come, I think that was handled really well. You didn't think you were going to see Giorgio again, things like that. And so I, I, you know, I have faith that they will do the right thing. Um, and, you know, and again, a lot of that faith comes with, comes from the fact that these these actors are very much involved and i love that i mean in tng i think they gave uh patrick stewart you know carte blanche to do what he wanted because he made it clear that that's what was going to happen and they didn't want to lose him and that was okay but i'm glad that every character on discovery seems to have that privilege now it isn't
2: just you know the the one star yeah i don't think the fans are writing the episodes but it, it it is true that it is true that I'm sorry that that the actors are, but but yeah, yeah, yeah. it is nice to to be able to have the input of of uh, of people from this community, and uh, it is true that on Star Trek, death is a guarantee of 17 more episodes, so <laughs>
0: we can definitely yeah. sit back and wait for that. Yeah, yep. I think that like the Star Trek future that we all want. And I will say, we, we for the LGBTQIA community, for non-binary and trans people, is to see ourselves without death at all. Like, that yeah. never right. is a part. And so hopefully in the future, because we know we will have many, many more years of Star Trek, we will, we will have that in the future. Um, but like I said, regardless, this episode, uh, on the heels of what Sarah said, is like an inner light, like a visitor, like uh, just tapestry, just something... That, that I just find to be a very profound episode that many different types of people can identify with or find meaning in. Yeah. I mm-hmm. wanna express
2: empathy, uh, Heather, for how that must feel uh, of being a, a part of a community that is ritually killed off uh, on television. It is, it must be so upsetting. And again, as I said, because it's upsetting to you, it should be upsetting to all of us. It just should be upsetting to all of us anyway. Um, yeah.
0: I get that, you know, it's, it's, I'm glad that you have me here to have a voice. And I will say I am, I am newly out as non-binary. I am almost 40 and I am only now getting to, um, kind of dive into these parts of myself and, and really take possession of who I am. And that is just part of my, my healing process from this trauma that I've had in my life. But it's just so, the point of that is that sometimes I don't feel like I deserve to speak for the community, especially for other non-binary and trans people because I haven't experienced their same life, but we're not a monolith. They're all types right. of people. Right, um, And yeah, it, it is it is some hopefully something that in the future we just, we won't see anymore. We won't need to kill a character to further a story um, or mm-hmm. to tell, you know, regardless, this might be an absolutely beautiful story that changes my life in some way, but it still comes back to kind of like, let's just not do that at all in the future. Yeah. But yeah. I still love the episode. Yeah.
1: I'll <laughs> say that there's something that happens and I'm ahead of a week um, from what I've seen. I will say there's something that happens, nothing to do with the trans or binary character that happens in the subsequent S- episode that was triggering for me in a completely different way for a completely different set of reasons. And, I, and even my wife turned to me I'm like, did they have to do that? And I was like, ah, I don't know. I think that, um, yeah. I think that it's. I'm glad that we're that we're ta- having the discussion. Like, I think what I love about this, and what I love about Star Trek is the fact that like I get to have this discussion, in such a passionate, like specific way, and mm-hmm. there gets to be like talking points to it. And it's strange to say this, but somehow Star Trek makes these things less abstract. I think for those who perhaps have not experienced it, like myself, and I think that that's like yeah. such a gift to the world. Chase, I wanted to ask a little bit, uh, of the four of us, as far as I know, you're the only one who has been a trill host, however briefly. As far as you know. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I know, I mean, you notice I didn't I didn't assume. Um, <laughs> that would be weird. Um, but yeah, I wanted you to you told me something interesting, and I think this may blow Heather and Sarah's mind, is that when you you played briefly Emmy Dax in the episode Facets, the Deep Space Nine episode Facets, which was for those of you listening and watching, you, you may or may not remember it was an episode in which um, Jedzia experienced her past lives um, through her friends uh, being possessed by the hosts, um, which was Basically. was kind of like a like a real world version of what what um, Burnham and Adira see at the end of this episode, right? Where they all the hosts of Tall say hello to Adira and welcome her uh, welcome them to the circle. Um, so yeah, Chase, but you were saying that you, that experience was very strange because you were kind of new to deep space nine at that point. It was.
2: it was my second episode. And I thought I was only going to be in one episode, which was four lines. I thought that was it. And I found out I was going to recur when wardrobe called me to come in for my second episode as Emeni Dax. And I was like, what, what does that mean? And it was truly wonderful because that kind of meant Lita was in with the group. If she's going to be a host of Dax. Um, And what an intense episode that was with uh, everything that happened with Jor and Dax and uh, everything that happened with Curzon. And it, it brought up a lot of questions and it answered a lot of other questions. And, uh, I think that Terry obviously did incredible work in that episode, and it brought the storyline uh, storylines together in very interesting ways.
1: Yeah, I just think that for those who are listening who are maybe new Discovery fans, I think that our goal is to convert everybody to being new Discovery fans. If there are disco haters out there, we we welcome you on the podcast and we will convert you by the end of this. Um, but I think <laughs> and that what I. You can
2: do your thing. You can you be you. You, you be can you, you, you be I you. I don't know why you're watching this. If yeah, you do watching or what. listening if you do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All but are welcome. I think that what I love about <laughs> that anecdote from you, Chase, is that. in your second episode, you were already best friends with Jadzia Dax.
2: Yeah. You know,
1: like where it was like that. And and so in watching it, I'm like, there's no way that was your second episode. And I still can't wrap my mind around that. But I think that it's just, it's this fun example of how Star Trek's mythology feels bigger sometimes than it actually is. Um, Where you're like, surely that's not the case. Surely you were in like 20 episodes. And I think that Discovery has that too, where there's, you know, there's 13 episodes a season, the season 15 Uh, last season, I think uh, 14 in season one, um, you know, where you're like, this really, it feels like I've already had many more episodes of Blue DiBario um, than I have, even though it's only been two episodes. And so I think that's, that is something that sort of blows my mind a little bit. Um,
2: The writers are so good at feeding us clues about the character that cause us then to wonder about them it it's, it's incredibly lovely, the intimacy that we feel with these characters. Someone once said that it's because we are in their living rooms. We, the characters, mm-hmm. you know, that the characters are in our living rooms. It's more intimate than feature film in theaters. You know, when you have these interactions coming right to you in your home, it's, it's very powerful. And I can see how it, it implodes in our, uh, explodes in our minds
1: chase do you want to um let people know about the disco science minute
2: i absolutely would love to let people know about the disco science minute and and uh i don't mean to over over talk here sarah and heather at any point in time if you want to chime in you know we interrupt we're cool we're good we just want to (laughs) hear everything uh but right now we want to hear from jd voyage She is a non-practicing astrophysicist and a PhD student. She is the Pandora series science advisor with none other than Mark Altman as the creator. We hope you're watching that on the CW. And she is the Disco Nights podcast consultant for us. She is also a sci-fi, a sci-show writer. We are truly proud to have you aboard. Take it away, J.D. Boyek.
3: Hello, listeners. As is hopefully obvious to you by now, Disco Nights is back and I, J.D. Voik, am also back bringing you your moment of disco science. The Trill are the third alien symbiotic species of my childhood, after Venom from the Spider-Man animated series in the 1990s and the Goa Goa'uld of Stargate SG-1. But unlike an enveloping viscous goo or a four-eyed snake that wraps around your upper spine, the Trill symbiont prefers to hang out in a humanoid gut. Or abdominal cavity, as Adira states this episode. Adira also calls the tall symbiont a squid, which... I mean, I guess... Do trill symbionts have appendages that approximate tentacles, or arms? My xenobiology expertise is lacking. Although, side note, that's a common misconception. Squids don't have ten tentacles. They have two, plus eight arms. The difference is that the tentacles are longer, can retract, and only have suckers near the ends. Which is just enough to grab onto you and pull you up to its beak and chomp you into pieces. If you'd like to have that thought before drifting off to sleep tonight. Now, it's the traumatic joining of Adira and Tal, or maybe it's just the death of Grey, that locks up Adira's memories, and the whole point of this episode's main storyline is to get the appropriate key for that lock. The key is not, as our resident doctor pretends to suggest, digging around in the hippocampus. That region of the brain, named after the Greek for seahorse, is oft associated with memories, especially because people with damage to the hippocampus can suffer memory loss, or even be unable to permanently store new memories. But it's not the actual storage spot for those memories. They get sent to other parts of the brain after processing, eventually. So digging around in the hippocampus wouldn't likely reveal any information, even if Kolber was being serious about it. There are actually a bunch of different kinds of memories. One not applicable in this case is working memory, which is what your brain uses while performing a given task. Sometimes it's conflated with short-term memory and sometimes they're treated as two separate things, short-term memory being the temporary data in the brain and working memory being the processing of that data. In Adira's case, we're dealing with long-term memory. That has two subcategories. Implicit memories, the ones that you as an individual can recall but can't express to anyone else because it's all subconscious, and explicit memories, which you can, through words or finger painting or interpretive dance. Implicit memory includes procedural memory, the stuff that helps you perform tasks more easily than if you were just learning to do them, like knowing how to play the cello. Implicit memory also includes those gut emotional reactions you experience when coming across an image or smell or whatever that you've experienced before. And unfortunately, it also leads to a particularly annoying effect where the more times you hear a lie, the more likely you are to accept it as true. For the explicit stuff, there's episodic memory, which is about the events and feelings that you experienced at some point in the past like that time that your great-aunt Norma got you a monogram backpack for Christmas which spelled your name wrong, or your boyfriend got impaled because a giant rock smashed into your spaceship. The other type of explicit memory is semantic, basically factual knowledge, like being able to recall the registry number of the starship Discovery, which I can't. But I do know that Voyager's NCC-74656 isn't any kind of Easter egg. They just made it up. And that's semantic memory. Semantic memory and episodic memory actually work together all the time. Your autobiographical memory is a combination of both. Do you still remember the phone number of your best friend from childhood? And do you remember trying to call them while someone in the house was using the internet? Am I talking to people who aren't old enough for that to have been an issue? Thanks to the magical cave jacuzzi on Trill, Adira unlocks her repressed memories and gains access to Tal's. Whether or not that includes more than just the episodic and semantic memories of Tal and its previous hosts, like any subconscious biases, we'll have to wait and see. And as for using dark matter to interact with the mycelial network, well, we don't know what dark matter actually is at the moment, and mushroom subspace is completely fictional, so I'm not going to touch that. This has been J.D. Voik with your Moment of Disco Science. Until next time.
1: All right, so... I wanted to talk about two things that were in my mind with the Trill. Um, Chase has a little bit of a connection with the Doctor Who um, fandom because of the big Finnish audio. And I feel like people who like Star Trek Discovery must somehow be aware of Doctor Who. But in my head, I was thinking about how the Trill in general, when they announced the Trill were gonna be in Disco Season 3, I was like, that is so brilliant because it's a time traveler without time travel, right? The trill have all the memories of their previous hosts. We see in the episode that at least one of um, the one of the hosts of Tall was wearing a Starfleet uniform from the Star Trek Picard era, so there are memories that go back that far. They could back, go back even farther. Um, yeah. uh, Chase's uh, character, Emily Dax, we found out later uh, had you know a liaison with uh, Bones McCoy in the Trials and Tribulations episode. So, I mean, what I love about the Trill and Adira, in addition to the wonderful social things it makes me think about, is that it reminds me of what Doctor Who is able to do with Time Lords, where you say, there's this person, they're back, and now they have this other guys, and they still have all these memories and experiences. So I don't know if anybody else had that vibe or whether I'm alone on that.
0: It, you just blew my mind a little bit <laughs> because, you know, when I look back through my, my own life, um, I tend to see things in like different versions of myself. Um. So, so, you know, child, there's my, my life, um, let's see, is marked by different events. And I tend to look back and think, okay, well, this not that I was a different person every time, but we evolve, And so I do kind of refer to my past as my past lives. (laughs) So I just, I really like that. I'm going to take that into going through the season with me because there's, it's hard to explain my experience with discovery. I feel like discovery was written for me sometimes just because my own life journey has kind of parallel parallel things that I've found in the series and that's really vague um and a rabbit hole for another podcast sometime uh, no I know what you mean
1: but... I know what you mean my daughter was born the year discovery came out and my daughter has a gender neutral name her name is Randall and so when I interviewed Sonequa Martin-Green for the season two finale of discovery I told her that having a female lead named Michael was really great because of my daughter's name being Randall and we call her Randy, Mm -hmm. you know, and Sonequa being Sonequa was like, God bless Randall, you know, and that was amazing, you know, but I think that I know what you mean Heather about, I think that for people, some folks that are in, of our generation, maybe I think that for me, this was the first Star Trek I've been able to experience it as an adult fan. Right. Yeah, and I think that you know I was I was telling Chase you know I was I was in high school when Deep Space Nine was ending, but I was in high school, you know, mm-hmm. and so I think that as a grown up um, and as 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 an adult with a career and a life, I think that this series does feel like it's written for me too sometimes for completely different reasons, you know. Obviously, yeah. our experiences are completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know,
0: uh, but that's the beauty of Star Trek, right? Like, and that's that's why we become so passionate about it. And I'm sure that. Maybe not all fans, you know, throw so much of themselves or look for themselves and and these parallels to their life in Star Trek. But for me, it's just been such a monumental part of my life since 2017 and all that I've experienced that I'm constantly just just looking for these things. Um, And that's why. It's almost creepy, like not only did this episode arrive like in the time of COVID, like we have this pandemic and we're we're in an episode talking about connection and how important it is to connect. Um, But then we have a character who's just coming out as non binary and I'm like, oh, my God, it's the. Again, like it's just a lot, it's a lot to process. And so I am still trying to work through how I feel about this episode um, on a deeply personal level. That's like private stuff for my journal. But I just, I love that Star Trek speaks to so many people and that's why it's so beloved and popular and here to stay.
1: Very nice. That's amazing. How can we follow that, (laughs) Sarah? do you have any, I have I have one parting thought that I love Sarah's feedback and Hertha's feedback. I know Chase has an opinion about this. And so um, is that thinking about Adira taking on the tall symbiont, I thought I was like in some version of Deep Space Nine, this would be like if Worf took on the Dax symbiont, <laughs> you know? And I, Chase, I know you don't like this fan theory. What did, Can you remind me of your reaction to that?
2: I was like, no, there's only room for Worf inside of Worf. No, <laughs> and then we wouldn't have gotten Esri, who right. I love. Yeah, yeah. So,
1: yeah. no, I of course I think that I just I think that there is something deeply, despite the problematic nature of what you were referring to, Heather. There is something deeply romantic about the idea of taking on uh, an entire someone's entire being.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, as you, as you smartly said, it can mean things to many different people.
0: Yeah. And we'll find out because we don't know. Um, you know, gray themselves doesn't know. So, or himself doesn't know. Sorry. I'm all in, in they be thems. Um, I'm, I'm really excited again, because I, I think there is potential, already we've just seen this amazing connection between these characters and i can only see it getting better and that's why i'm willing to kind of bite my tongue and move past what happened to understand how the story unfolds
4: yeah another another thing i think is that you know star trek it, it's its job as as storyteller is to show not tell and i think that occasionally star trek fans have a tendency to ask Star Trek to be more literal than it should be and Mm -hmm. ask of it to, you know, I was looking, uh, something I saw in one of the fan forums the other day, a woman was complaining about um, Deanna in The Child where she um, is sitting at the table, um, the conference room uh, watching all of the men talk about her baby and the camera kind of stays on her and shows her discomfort while all of these men are talking about what to do with her body. And it was a very clear uh, reference to, I mean, I was eight when TNG premiered. I very thoroughly remember sitting on my living room floor watching it. And I thought this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. And I was a fan from that moment on. And I was the perfect age for, you know, for TNG. But I loved that episode. And what, what, what these, these, this complainer wasn't understanding was that, what she was complaining about was in fact the point of that scene. The point of that scene was to empathize with Deanna, you know, uh, as these men are are talking about her body that was 100% intentional from the writers. It's so obvious in that. I think it might be more obvious to me because I remember that era. I remember, you know, I was I was a teenager when that episode came out. So, um, or well, uh, probably about 10 or 12, i I'm forgetting what season it was. Season
1: in. two, yeah.
4: Yeah, it was more like that. But, you know, I still, I was aware of, you know, at that time. In fact, I was raised by conservatives who were very pro-life. And so, you know, Star Trek was giving me this outlet um, where I wasn't getting this input from my regular life and allowed me to think about these things in in much more open-minded terms. So I do think that, you know, I really, especially coming from more of a literary perspective, I want to see Star Trek showing, not telling and and not being trite and not, you know, not being heavy handed. And I think that is part of what's going on here. And that, you know, that's where a lot of that patience comes from. Yeah.
1: Sarah, I think that is a brilliant observation and I could not agree more. And I'll say as someone who um, deals in words, um, I feel like that that is true. Um, So, yeah, we want we want it is a show. Right, <laughs> we want to. Yes. We want it to show us things, and not always, not always to tell us things. Um, yeah, I don't. I think that we have talked about the trill a bunch, and I think that we are ready to take a break, and uh, you know, think about Star Trek more. Uh, Chase, do you have any parting thoughts on and words of wisdom?
2: I think that because Star Trek is what it is, and has the legacy that it has. We can and must trust the writers that they will do justice to to everyone. We've seen them do powerful things with Stamets and Culber, for instance. I thought, I just want to go back to this moment when I saw them brushing their teeth, and that was the introduction to this gay couple on television. I thought that was... An extremely powerful moment. They they really just introduce them as any other couple, which they are. And I think that we need to have that kind uh, a, a kind of a trust that has taken into account all of the things that the Discovery writers are doing and have done, and uh, and just wait and see what happens and root for Blue, and uh, I'm sorry, root for Adira and Blue and and root for ian alexander and for gray um i think there's a lot of good stuff ahead if i had to bet that's what i'd bet
1: just as we had to root for lita um even though it was only her second episode and we don't even we thought it was her (laughs) 10th
2: thank you well i i think i think you know, there's a very powerful message in that, which is that things are not always what they seem. <laughs> That's right. And I think we just need to to have some trust right now and keep watching. I, I'm excited,
1: except if it's Sarah's parrots, and those are definitely what they seem to be—parrots yeah. that uh, that are that are uh, named They're tiny
4: dinosaurs. Yeah, <laughs> that is what they are. They are I just that, dinosaurs yeah. that are this big.
1: If we have, if we have uh if you come back, Sarah, I think I want to see the, one of the parrots. Um, well, I want to... I they can I wanna...
4: scrub my shoulder during this whole thing, but unfortunately when people are talking, they're like, oh, people are talking. I want to be a part of it. And they start screaming and chattering because they're like, oh, we're all having a conversation here.
1: Sounds like my daughter. <laughs> um, <laughs> I want to thank uh, both of you, Sarah Lynn Minchner um, and Heather Baker Um, Find them... Um, on Twitter and say nice things to them. They're brilliant people and wonderful fans, and they remind me every day of why I love Star Trek and why I write about it. So um, I wanna just say that. And uh, find Chase Masterson and see what she's doing. She's doing wonderful things with Pop Culture Hero Coalition. Thank Um, you. And uh, remember that Chase is your favorite host of DAX, um, even though it was only for 15 seconds.
2: We can go now, it's okay. Thank you to our fantastic co-host Ryan Britt and I want to say make sure you watch our sister shows featuring Mark Altman and the ever-present knowledge and fun and excitement for Star Trek, all things Star Trek.